We don't have time to fuck around. I have far too many notes for this episode. No funny intro, no bullshit where we pretend like we're talking about a different thing besides the band. The Clash is so terrible, we have to just get right into this. Strap in. Every time someone talks to me about how awesome The Clash is, either I'm on a hidden camera YouTube show. They're just testing you to see... What are you going to say? Or the next thing they're going to bring up is the cult they want me to join. Yeah, this is a very poserific band. Kings of punk rock poser. The Clash are what people who listen to the Beatles think punk music is. I don't even think that The Clash thinks they're a punk band, to be clear. But people who listen to the Beatles think The Clash is a punk band. When they want to listen to pop, I'm going to listen to some pop music. They throw in the Beatles. I'm an edgy, edgy person. Like right now, I'm like really punk. I'm going to listen to The Clash. People who think The Clash is a great band are almost always the same people who think The Replacements were a great band. Both of these bands blow for so many of the same reasons. This is music for people who listen to bands because they think those bands look cool in pictures. Some of these bands like The Replacements were bands that I probably heard when I was a teenager and was like, this band sucks. And I legitimately did not know, no joke, not one person that I ever know was a fan of the band. Mm -mm. So when they got back together, I was like, who the fuck cares? Oh shit, a ton of people care. And it turns out a bunch of people were fans. It's so dumb and bad. The Clash and The Replacements are music for people who've worn the t-shirt with the album cover on it more times than they've listened to that album. Definitely. People only listen to The Clash because they think The Clash looks cool or because they think The Clash seems to represent something that person thinks is cool or smart or counterculture in some way. It's definitely a uh, virtue signaling. I, I pay attention. <laughs> yes. It's if wearing a London Calling shirt because that's really the only shirt you ever see anybody wear. It's just virtue signaling. I'm a woke a very woke, aware person. If I ever saw someone wearing a Sandinista t-shirt, I would leave wherever I was because nothing good would be about to happen. I don't know what would happen after that person walks in the room, but I guarantee you it's not good. I don't think I legitimately have ever seen a Clash shirt that wasn't the album cover. Well, the first album also, I'm sure, has a lot of bootleg. The Clash self-titled first album. Yeah, I've never seen one. Wait, 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 before we move on, I think we should do experiments sometimes. And if you're a fan of the show, you need to do this experiment out there in the wild. You see somebody wearing a floppy hat. You need to ask them who their favorite band is. They're going to say the Beatles about 99% of the time. Ask them what their favorite punk band is. I guarantee it's The Clash. There's a new thing that's not floppy hats anymore. I don't know if you've seen it, but I'm about at the end of my rope with it. Unhemmed pants. Have you seen this? Where people, they buy pants that are too long for them and just cut the bottoms of the legs off and then they're walking around. These are the same people who have that. What? Have like a bowl cut. Dude, once I've told you this, you start looking for it, you're going to see it everywhere. Go to Williamsburg in New York City sometime, and yeah. you're just gonna see everyone walking around in these unhemmed pants. I don't understand it. That's a new floppy hat, is like the, the unhemmed this, pants. This like, thing down here isn't sewn? Yeah, so like this, yeah, yeah. they cut it off and leave it. Why? Because wow. that's the thing. Because it's the same thing that fashion trends always are. I'm sure that the first people who started doing that were poor and cooler than rich people who decided they wanted to be cool, so they yeah. start dressing like the people who don't have money. This is how pop culture works. <sighs> With every episode of this show, it's been possible for me to understand why there are people who are fans of the band in the episode. Mm -hmm. This may be the first one where I feel like this band is objectively terrible and it doesn't make sense why anyone who likes music would like this. 
That's a deep cut. This is not one of the greatest bands of all time. I think that even anyone who considers themselves a fan of The Clash, if they're being rational, will admit that this band has not made one perfect album. Well, a double album and then a triple album alone is disqualifying, crossing every possible boundary of things you don't do as a band. If this is the first episode of this show you're listening to, please go scroll all of the bands that we've done episodes on and just press play on the episode of any band that's done a double album, with the exception of Guns roses they're all trash that's across the board it's a universal sin you don't do double albums ever and then (laughs) i don't even know what kind of psychopath band does a triple album that's just like another level i don't even know where to begin you don't how do you even take that apart i don't even think that people would know again let's do another experiment i love the clash great can you name more than five songs guarantee most people can't dude no i guarantee most people don't even know how many albums the clash have obviously most of the people who like songs by the clash like those five radio hit songs yeah everyone has heard yeah. way too many times and almost none of those people are going deep into this. I'm going to listen to all of Sandinista front to back. Almost nobody has done that for a very good reason. Terrible album. And it's not like it's an outlier in this band's discography. If you like one of this band's albums, there's only another one at best that you also like. Nobody, no one in their right mind could possibly defend this band's discography on musical ground. In 1980, there was a zine called Jetlag. They had Chuck Berry listen to and review some punk rock singles. They started off by playing him God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols, and he said he couldn't understand most of the vocals. Quote, if you're going to be mad, at least let the people know what you're mad about. End quote. Mm. It's kind of a smart quote. Valid point, man. If punk is supposed to be all pissed off about something, well, what are you mad about? Sure can't tell. No doubt. That's actually a really great point. It'd be like if Bernie Sanders threw a spoonful of oatmeal in his mouth before he went to the podium every time. Wait, hold on. And the issues, the issues. After that, they played Chuck Berry, Complete Control by The Clash, and he said it sounded like the first song, then asked if the singer had a sore throat on the day he recorded it. So still can't understand what this guy's saying, but that dude's voice sounds even worse than the first one. That's perfect. Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine says this is his favorite band of all time. Straight up, I do not believe him, and I think he is lying. You really? Totally believe it. At least I don't think it's The Clash's music that it is his favorite band. It's the pictures and the idea of what they're supposed to represent. Of course. Because that's basically the blueprint for Rage Against the Machine. Pure hypocrisy? Love that. Actually, he probably started saying this after everyone pointed out how fucking hypocritical his whole band was. He's frantically scrambling for the most critically acclaimed band that also hits those criteria. Well, The Clash did all that. You know what? That's my favorite band. Yeah. Y'all said The Clash was good. What's wrong with us? Clash is a punk band that made shit tons of money and charged half a million dollars to play shows. Come on, dude. Look, they're punk. We're punk. We're all punk. If you look only at the image and only at the ideas this band is supposed to be espousing, of course this is Tom Morello's favorite band. Beto O'Rourke also says The Clash is his favorite band. I do believe him because he's a fucking dork. Redistribute your wealth to my pockets because I'm punk as fuck. I don't think there's anything punk about The Clash at all. Lyrically, don't make sense. I'm not sure that the members of this band would have called themselves punk after the fact. I'm sure that when punk was happening, because that's how they marketed themselves, they were all in bands that sounded wildly different than this. The Sex Pistols happened and they decided to do this. I'm sure that at that time they were calling themselves punk all fucking day long. 
Every time you're making fun of the Sex Pistols, you're also making fun of The Clash because The Clash would not be a band if the Sex Pistols were not a band. That was part of the, the whole story. This is common knowledge if you actually look and pay attention to history. Yes. Joe Strummer was in a pub rock band. That's that Nick Lowe. At best, it's like Nick Lowe. At worst, it's like Elvis Costello horse crap. The Sex Pistols started happening. This was about to be a thing. We got to get in on this. Mm -hmm. And also, Joe Strummer was a wannabe fake folk singer when he was in college, too. This is a guy who wanted to be Woody Guthrie, then he wanted to be Nick Lowe, and then he wanted to be Johnny Rotten. Maybe he just wanted to be famous. Duh, dude! There's a, re <laughs> there's a reason The Clash feels like a con job, and that's because it is. If you take this shit seriously, you're a fucking sucker. You yeah. are P.T. Barnum's favorite kind of person. And what's happening right now in everyone's head that likes The Clash is getting so angry right now. And this is what they'll say to us in emails and on YouTube comments is they'll say, oh, you guys are just doing this because it's cool. They're making this podcast because yeah. it's cool? That's what your favorite band did. So even if we were doing that, we're, welcome to the fucking party. Maybe we're just influenced. The Clash is one of the biggest influences on this podcast. That's huge true. influence. That's true. We were just influenced by what we see bands doing, doing things to be cool. This is the same people that'll be like, I hate pop punk. Okay, well, pop punk wouldn't exist without The Clash. I hate reggae. Cool. The Clash <laughs> paving the way for a bunch of white dudes to make reggae music. The whole UK punk movement was founded on bullshit. It was founded on image. It was founded on fashion and attitude and not substance. There was nothing of substance there, which is why it barely even existed for a minute. All right. This only mattered for five fucking minutes in the grand scheme of things in that millennium. Blink of an eye. The Clash only actually existed as a band for 10 years and arguably didn't really exist those last couple years. Oh, for sure. As a band. Yeah, it's lunged so heavily into like somehow 40 years later, we're going to be talking about this band. Get the fuck out of here. Who are the gatekeepers that later go on to say, oh, they're a great punk band? Because I think now if you were to play this to somebody somehow that never heard it. Oh, yeah. And say, is this punk? It's no. nobody is going to say this is punk, especially if you played the top five songs. The closest you're going to get is someone calling it ska. Yeah, that's fair. I think if somebody called it ska, I would say, OK, that's fair. That's ska. I'm sure that The Clash was an incredibly influential band for most bands that call themselves ska. One of the dumbest things, by the way, is when the main argument for a band is that they were influential. Very, very influential bands. Yeah. You know, both Bono and The Edge of U2 act like The Clash are their personal Beatles, which would be the only reason I need to hate The Clash. U2 likes them? Fuck that. <laughs> the next time someone starts talking to you about how influential The Clash are, make them tell you five of the bands they're referring to who were influenced by The Clash, because I promise those bands are gonna suck. What are you, I'm trying to think who, yeah, I can't name names. I actually know some people that are like hugely influenced by the clash. Oh, for but sure. I don't want to name their names. I hate Scott. Everyone fucking hates Scott. I doubt you find 10 people in your friend group you've ever met in your life that say they like Scott. Well, this is a thing that's happening right now as people are are pretending to like Scott ironically. Bullshit. It's sort of like how the yacht rock thing came back. Scott's about to do that. Uh, yeah, but what ska bands are there? We're talking all the 80s and 90s ones, less than Jake, Real Big Fish, the Cherry Pop and Daddies, that whole swing 
ska crossover. A legit have blocked that time period out of my mind. Sorry, must be that nice. Entire, that entire reality of life has been completely blocked out. The best part about this influence argument is it's almost always being made by someone who thinks modern music is trash. Whatever genre they're talking about. If you're talking to someone whose main criteria for a band being one of the greatest of all time is how influential they were, whatever genre they're talking about, I can pretty much fucking guarantee you that that person hates whatever's being made in that genre today. If that band is one of the greatest bands of all time because they influenced everything that came after them in their field and you hate all the shit that came after them in their field Maybe that band you like isn't that good. Because they influenced all the shit bands you think are shit. The Beatles were the best band ever because they influenced all the music that came after them. By the way, all music today is trash. Well, maybe being influential isn't such a good thing if mm. what they influence is a bunch of shit you hate. Mm -hmm. Maybe if you hate all the bands influenced by your favorite band, your favorite band is awful. You know, maybe... I'd like to think that we influence people. We influence you to be better at picking out what bands you like. We're influential. Oh, we are tastemakers. Yes, we are tastemakers. Much different. We make you realize your taste is shit and you need better taste. And maybe new friends. I have news for all you motherfuckers too. If there's a ska resurgence, we will dedicate every episode of this podcast to dismantling ska music because it should not exist. It's an abomination. Do you realize how much ska you'll have to listen to if we do that? I won't listen to a single fucking thing. <laughs> I won't listen to anything. I'll just show up here and be screaming into the microphone. I'm not listening to it there either. There is no, there will be no ska resurgence. Do you hear me? Do you understand? It's happening, buddy. No, it's not. You need to check in with your local meme maker well, because they'll fill you in. Your favorite band sucks, part two. Ska sucks. I'm not saying The Clash weren't influential. I'm saying it's a bad influence. Listen to the way these guys sing. I would say that's probably the biggest influence The Clash had on any genre of music is make your lyrics as unintelligible as possible. You can tell people that they mean whatever you want and they'll have to believe you because no one can understand what you're actually saying. Yeah, we'll talk about this later, but you're telling me people don't know the lyrics to Rock the Cashbar? <laughs> rock the Cashbar? Like rock the Cashbar. I guarantee you 1% of the population actually knows the words to that song. Cherie don't like it. Seriously, though, can anyone understand the lyrics of Clash songs without looking them up? No. No. No, right? No, 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 no. I no, remember no. being shocked the first time I looked up some Clash lyrics and found out what words these guys were trying to say. When my son's old enough to actually objectively listen to some of these bands, we're going to have an episode where we sit down with him and play Rock the Cashbar or whatever. A million songs and be like, what are the lyrics to this? I can understand about every seventh line in the song Rudy Can't Fail, but I have no idea what I thought they were saying until whenever in life I first read the title of that song. I hate that song. It's a ska song. Yeah, it is pure and simple a ska song. I didn't even know that that song was called that. Okay, right now, I promise someone listening to this right now is going to type Rudy Can't Fail by The Clash into a search engine, press play wherever they find the song, and go, oh, wow, I know this song. Wait. That's the name of this song? Yes. That's what they're singing in the chorus? Also, this isn't even a theory. Go look at uh, The Clash's most popular songs on Spotify, man. Yeah. Rudy Can't Fail is for sure one of the most overplayed songs by this band. And it's nowhere, it's not even in the top 10 most popular songs on Spotify. And I think that's because people can't tell what they're saying and they don't know the song is called that. I haven't heard that outside of a bar. I don't think maybe ever. 
Email us and tell us what you think the lyrics are to some of these songs. Go for Listen it. Listen to the Clash songs that you know, but that you don't know the lyrics to, and then type out as you're listening to them what you think they're saying, and then just send it to us. It's worse than Nirvana. It's a hundred times oh, worse shit, than Nirvana. Oh, they definitely paved the way for oh, Nirvana in yeah, that dude. regard. They realized you can say anything. If you can sing a hook, well, if you can kind of directionally sing a hook with a catchy little guitar riff in there, you can say anything. It's always awesome when there's like, heavy lyrics heavy ish they're or supposed to be heavy they're supposed to be heavy over extremely poppy yeah hooky songs the way that the guys in this band sing it sounds like they were all sitting around arguing over who was gonna have to be the singer and then joe and mick started making fun of each other mocking the way the other person sings and then their voices got stuck that way like how your parents tell you your face is going to get stuck that way when you're making an ugly face to make fun of someone. Yeah. It well, sounds like these guys' voices got stuck that way. That's what happens when you pick bandmates for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Normally when you're starting a band, you have an idea for a band, you yeah. would find a guy that can sing. I really like the way you're dressed. We should be in a band together. Cool. Can you do anything? No. Great. Who's going to be the singer? I don't know. This is what it sounds like when you sing. And, and then they're just like, we're doing it back and forth at each other. Oh, yeah. When you sing, it sounds like this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the moon on the Either their voices got stuck that way or they lost a bet. You know those real hardcore bets people will make? Like, you got to get a tattoo. You got to eat a shoe. You've got to start a band and sing like you just went to the dentist and still can't feel half your face. Ringo Starr is a better singer than anyone in The Clash. Whoa, Jesus. So we have new t-shirts, but I just realized, can we say, how how specifically can we describe the designs of our new shirts? Uh, we have shirts that roundaboutly might kind of make you think of a certain 90s runs rock band uh, and or another famous rock band from the Across the Pond. It rhymes with the bowling bones. <laughs> the bowling bones. Yeah. Shmervana. <laughs> <laughs> Shmervana. Come on down to yfbspod.com. Merch store. Buy a t-shirt. Buy a flag. Buy a pin. Buy a sticker. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know who was influential? The Sex Pistols. Objectively one of the worst bands in history. Yeah, I don't understand that either. Why did the Sex Pistols become what they were? Because this movement was not founded on substance, I think there were a lot of people whose jobs it was to look like they were saying smart things about pop culture. Mm -hmm. And they don't know what's going on. They don't know what this is because clearly it's just a bunch of bunk bullshit. But if they're going to try to move units, if they're going to try to get issues off the racks, they need to pick some of this shit and start saying it's good, right? Yeah, just like anything else is the right people. Okay, the clash. Even if you're just flipping a coin, you have to say, okay, this one's good, this one's not. It could have mm. literally come down to a coin toss between the Clash and the Sex Pistols as far as which band people were going to pick. London Calling in 1979. Now, granted, it was late in 1970. I think it was like December. Right. And Rolling Stone magazine says it's the album of the decade. Of the 80s. Of the 80s. Not right, of right, the right. 70s. What's so weird about it is the Clash breaks up before... 
the 80s are even over. The Clash doesn't make it through as a band. This would be fucked either way. Right. Can you imagine of all the music that came out in the 70s, The Clash puts out an album in 79 and immediately Rolling Stone jumps on it. This is the best shit that's happened in this decade. Right. But no, it's even worse. They predict that nothing in the 80s is going to be as good, let alone better. Straight up, I could spend the entire rest of this episode just listing bands that people should listen to instead of the first Clash album. Mm. The Slits, The Stranglers, The Damned. Listen to everything Wire ever recorded before you press play on another Clash song. Mm -hmm. Hit up the band Crass. Listen to Buzzcocks. Listen to Wipers. Listen to Germs. Grab this compilation called Do The Pop, the Australian garage rock sound, and you'll have at least three new favorite bands the band X. Mm. I seriously do not understand why there are people going back and pressing play on The Clash's first album for, I don't know, the 10th time when they haven't listened to everything these other bands recorded. Again, I do not give a fuck how many of those bands say they like The Clash. We just went over it. Influence doesn't mean shit to me. And this is pretty much all I have to say about the first Clash album. Anytime someone wants to talk to you about this bullshit first album, you need to hand them a list of better bands to name check if they're going to pretend to care about music. One question that's always important to ask when trying to decide if a band sucks is, do the members of this band think this band sucks? Mm. We already went over it. I'm pretty sure that no one in The Clash, once we were in the 80s, I don't think anyone in The Clash would call their band a punk band. Interview them when they're 100 and they haven't been in this band for 50 years. Do you think The Clash was a punk band? Looking back at it, probably not. I can't imagine a world where anyone in The Clash thinks The Clash is a good band. There's very little time in the 80s that they were actually a band. This is a weird band. This is, I think, a very unique band. A band that is around for 10 years, actually less, puts out a double album, a triple album. If you were to take London Calling to actually be two separate releases and then Sandinista to be three separate releases, that would actually be five records mm -hmm. right there. Plus the other releases in less than a decade of being a band. That's insane. They were very prolific in that decade. They put out more material than some bands put out in 20 years, but it's all bad. Yeah. It's not good. Just because they did a lot doesn't mean it's great. Have you ever known someone who uh, thinks of themselves as a workaholic? They spend, you know, 15 hours a day working, but half of that is just completely ineffective. Yeah. They don't understand that time spent on something is not valuable time spent on something. Yeah, there was a thing I saw. They did a study like you're only really 45 minutes a day of actual productivity or something like that. Fucking off. <laughs> Just in your own head. You know that joke about how if you're in the woods with your friend and a bear comes gonna eat you, you don't have to outrun the bear, you only have to outrun your friend? Yeah. That's basically what happened with so-called UK punk. Everyone who knew they could run faster than the Sex Pistols, and that's literally everyone. Everyone can run faster than the Sex Pistols. If you're already in bands that know how to play instruments, you see everyone's paying attention to this. Well, shit, we can do that. That doesn't mean we're talking about track stars here. Mm -hmm. Anyone is better than the Sex Pistols. It's a pretty fucking low bar. If you're going to listen to a band from England that's terrible on purpose, you can at least listen to The Fall. Shit, man, I haven't listened to The Fall. You need to go back and listen to that. It would take you the rest of your life to listen to everything that The <laughs> Fall of recorded. <laughs> The Clash are the gimmick-hungry yobs digging gold from rock and roll that they sing about in the song Death or Glory. Maybe that's why they couldn't even last a decade. There's some guilt sinking in pretty quick. You want to talk about imposter syndrome, yeah. buddy? Start off a quote-unquote punk band, turn into a pop reggae ska band, 
and then just implode less than 10 years later. All the while cashing some pretty gnarly checks. If we're gonna start talking about the bullshit premise of this whole band, we can start with Joe Strummer is one of the dumbest fake names for a guitar player that I have ever, ever heard. I've heard a lot of fake names for guitar players, but Joe Strummer mm. has got to be the dumbest one. You're saying that's not a real name? It's like a soccer player deciding his name is now gonna be Johnny Kicker. <laughs> what, what about Steve Dribbler? Yeah, Steve Dribbler, yeah. The, that famous basketball player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah same thing. Uh, I'm gonna be a pirate, you're gonna have to call me Terry Ships now, sorry. <laughs> oh man. The only reason someone would argue Joe Strummer's merits over Mick Jones' merits is if they were assigned that side of the argument in a debate club. You have to defend it. Listen to that last quote unquote Clash album and compare it to Big Audio Dynamite, the band that Mick Jones went on to make. Which is obviously also why he didn't want to do any of the reunions. <laughs> no, ever. I don't like, need to. Right. Yeah. Fuck you. I don't need you anymore. I thought yeah. I did. Turns out I don't. Fuck off. That last Clash album is called Cut the Crap. And I just want to make sure everyone understands here. The word cut is another way of saying record for release. So the name of the album is we recorded this crap and are now selling it to you. We cut the crap. Joe Strummer was a rich kid boarding school bully. Look it up. I mean, it's weird how all the greatest songwriter duos from England have this exact same dynamic too. It's always one upper middle class kid slumming it with a low class kid who shoplifts good records from America. That's the Rolling Stones, that's the Beatles, that's the Clash. I may have come from money and wealth with a silver spoon shoved up my ass, but they're punk, dude. Straight up, the Rolling Stones are more punk than The Clash. I lived with somebody who used to live on the street. <laughs> he used to steal just to eat. It was pretty crazy. That's one of the things that Johnny Rotten talks shit about The Clash for. John Lydon, Johnny Rotten, sorry. He hated the way that they talked about coming from a poor background or whatever because he knows that they didn't because he knew these guys he's like don't give me that shit i came from where you're talking about you came from motherfucker yeah. like you don't get to say this to me oh you're from there weird yeah. i didn't see you ever one time when i lived there howdy chums are we squatting this evening <laughs> like, fuck you dude <laughs> funny joe strummer is the kid you send around the corner to oh you want to be cool go steal me some cigarettes joe they're never gonna think that you're doing it go do it it's possible I'm biased because by the time I was six years old, The Clash let Levi's jeans put should I stay or should I go in a TV commercial. So by the time I got older and found out this was supposed to be some band full of socialists or whatever, I was well aware that they were full of shit. Go look up this Levi's commercial if you haven't seen it. I'm not going to drop a clip because it's literally just the song playing and there's no original audio, but it's a soundtrack. The scene is a pool hall where this sexy dude walks in with a pair of Levi's and some gross guy makes a bet with him over his pants. Yeah. And then the sexy guy who's wearing Levi's runs the table and wins the bet. That's the whole commercial. Should I stay or should I go now? Buy yourself a pair of jeans. You know, I'm trying to think of when I would have heard that song for the first time. It wouldn't have been on the radio. I feel like that song was probably in a shit ton of movies. Oh, it's in a lot of movies, Which is man. definitely super punk. So while we're on this topic, I have a story. It's a little bit long. Uh, there's a video that I think a lot of people have seen of David Lee Roth from Van Halen chugging jack daniels straight from the bottle and telling this massive crowd of people that it's not iced tea in a whiskey bottle and he says that's a trick that bands like the clash use dude is definitely coked out of his mind in this video clip you can tell his face there's no possibility that he can feel his face you're saying he was having a coke stroke <laughs> oh buddy if no one has seen this video clip you have to go watch maybe it maybe van halen was more punk than the clash 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Van seriously. Halen covering the kinks is punk as fuck, in yeah. my opinion. No, sure. I think this is a pretty famous video clip, but I don't think most people know the full story of why this happened and how. So I'm going to tell it right now. This happened on Memorial Day weekend of 1983 at a three-day weekend event called U.S. Festival in Los Angeles, California. This festival was bankrolled by Steve Wozniak of Apple Computers. I now have the full attention of anyone who knows anything about the concert industry because the most epic shit shows of all time are always when some rich tech person who knows nothing about concerts decides they can launch a festival. Everyone knows this now because of Firefest. Not the only one. It was a bunch. Was partnered with Bill Graham, famous concert promoter, but you can't really stop a rich dude from thinking money is going to solve every problem, and that's precisely what happens. Three-day festival, The Clash is headlining night one, Van Halen headlines night two, and it doesn't matter who was supposed to headline night three because Wozniak decides at the last minute that he wants David Bowie. He loves David Bowie so much, gotta get him. Here's the problem. David Bowie is already in the middle of a tour. He's already booked. So when they come to him or his people, they're like, look, dude, we're going to have to reroute. We're going to have to all these extra travel expenses. The only way we can headline night three of your festival is if you pay us one point five million dollars. <laughs> Van Halen has a clause in their contract saying they have to get paid more money than any other band on the entire bill. Any night doesn't matter. And Van Halen's already getting paid $1 million. So, long story short, Wozniak's rich. He doesn't give a fuck. Pay David Bowie the 1.5. Give Van Halen another $500,000. Let's party. Then he finds out he's got to circle back and raise ticket prices to try to cover some of these costs, of course. Mm -hmm. And this is obviously the last concert Wozniak did, yeah. by the way. <laughs> this is why tech guys should stick to tech. This is the second year he did this festival. And I want to say he lost a total of like $20 million trying to make this a thing. And this was, well, yeah, he just gave up after this. But anyway, the clash finds out about all this and gets real pissed off and starts doing a bunch of dumb shit. They tell Apple, you guys got to donate a hundred grand to charity or we're not going to play. They hang a backdrop up during their set that says the clash not for sale. And their stage banter between songs is all about how disgusting and corporate and commercial this event is. Th this event that they're playing. Yeah, they don't have to play. This is the Rage Against the Machine problem all over again. What did you do with the check they gave you? Did you donate the full amount to charity? But here's the real kicker. Somewhere in the middle of all this ranting, Joe Strummer also complains about how the other headliners are getting paid so much more money than them. He lets it all out, man. Dude, you're pissed because all these other bands are making more money than you, and you're deciding to pretend like it's some political thing, and you're disgusted with the whole idea of this thing you said yes to after he talks shit on the whole festival the clash get off stage they have a fist fight with security mm. and don't do an encore wow the festival organizers put the clash's check up on the big screen so everyone can see that they got paid half a million dollars to do this show here's the check we're giving to the clash since they want to act like they're better than this they want to act like they're better than all you people who are just here to have a good time yeah certainly didn't show up to get a lecture about how you're all pieces of shit uh -huh. for buying tickets to see this band yeah that's a real quick way to make some fans okay we're gonna play some songs fuck everyone that came to this event and fuck us for getting paid half a million dollars we 
they should have started a punk band. We, we could should do that right now. We should definitely start a punk band. Do punk bands get lunged up to getting paid half a million dollars nowadays? I don't know. So all of that goes down on night one of the festival. And then that famous video clip of David Lee Roth chugging whiskey and talking shit on the class on the next. I guarantee you everyone had so much more fun on night two of this thing oh, with God. Van Halen than they had on night one with the clash. Van Halen, they're just out there partying and having a good time. And everyone that paid a bunch of money to come see you have this show Instead of getting preached at and talked to about whatever the clash was going on about getting paid half a million dollars, at least with Van Halen, you could just drink and have a good time. I'm assuming this was probably in San Francisco area. This was LA. Uh, yeah, it's in California. Bunch of people smoking weed, mm. drinking drinks, and having a good time. And there's David Lee Roth encouraging you to do it. I'm sure there are a ton of people who are like, dude, Van Halen sucks, man. If it's between Van Halen and The Clash, I'm going to pick The Clash every time. It's not like Van Halen is the only band that ever had a problem with The Clash. If you don't like Van Halen, how do you feel about Iggy Pop and or The Stooges? Because Iggy Pop also has thoughts on The Clash. This New York Times interviewer sets up the question by pointing out that The Stooges were largely responsible for punk rock truth. And what does he think about all that punk rock stuff? What did he think when it happened? He says, quote, I couldn't stand the sincere punks. I never believed them. Still don't. End quote. It's bullshit. <laughs> I never agreed with the sincere punks. Quote, like the Clash, we're going to make the world politically correct for everybody's benefit, but only if you kept buying Clash records. I never really went for the righteousness. I went more for the profligate sneering groups. I also realized that it was good that I wasn't doing that sort of music anymore. In penile post-pubescent rock, the generation is five years. It's not 25 years. It would have been worse if I was still knocking out stuff that sounded like my first record, but not as good. End quote. <laughs> Iggy Pop has things to say about this band, people. Definitely give Iggy Pop some uh, credence. His words matter. Pretty gnarly person. I, there's, you know, there are people that you don't care if they talk shit about your band. Man. The Iggy Pop is not one of those guys. If Iggy Pop talks shit about this podcast, it would be... It'd be tough. The best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, <laughs> sure. It would be an email that you would actually read. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike anything else we get. It would be like if my parents yelled at me, but I cared. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Now that we've sold a bunch of shirts, maybe people will start responding to them wearing our shirt. We get tagged in posts all the time, I see. Yeah, if you get a shirt. At yfbspod.com. I want to hear the stories. Oh, I definitely want to hear some stories. I bet it's a lot of people laughing at the shirt. I bet when you're walking around in a shirt that says your favorite band sucks on it, you get a lot of people who aren't dumb as fuck going, that shirt's funny. I hope. It's a great conversation starter. Or ender. If you're a single person and you're someone that goes on dates, you should buy a shirt and wear it on a date. Mm -hmm. It's a great litmus test. Figure out right away. Oh, this person I'm going on this date with, his favorite band is Weezer. Text your friend. Hey, uh, can you call me in a minute and tell me that you really need my help? Get the fuck out of there. Yeah. Like I said, the Van Halen versus the Clash thing, I'm sure that's a real easy choice for a lot of deluded Clash fans to make. Same choice between the Clash and the Stooges. You, that I don't I mean if you're picking the Clash versus the Stooges and also no you cannot count the last Stooges album. I'll say I won't count the last Clash album if you don't count the last Stooges album. There you go. Hold those discographies up against each other. Fuck you if you don't pick the Stooges, man. The band Crass, these are song lyrics by Crass. They said that we were trash. Well, the name is Crass, not Clash. They can stuff their punk credentials cuz it's them that take the cash. And there you go. Simple. 
This is before the internet too. This is what they were actually experiencing, not just reading about in yeah. some story. This is what everyone knew. This is like a diss track. All right, we got to start talking about London Calling or we're going to be here all night. London Calling. Cool album cover. Is it though? No, it's not. Look, look, I got a question for everyone. If you were at a show, if you were at a show this year, I don't know if this episode's coming out in 2020 or 2019, whatever year you're listening whatever to this show. Whatever decade you're listening to the show in. Any show and the guitar player takes off their instrument, starts slamming it into the stage. What do you think about that? Why would they do that? Is that, that cool? <laughs> Not anymore, man. And I don't think it was cool was then. Saying, maybe it's never been cool. I don't think it was cool. This is one of those things that people think looks badass through the lens of history. But in reality, this has always been awkward and gimmicky. Although it would be really funny if other things, other professionals did that. Like, like if it was a photographer, Ansel right. Adams took these amazing pictures. And at the end of this great <laughs> photo shoot, just like took his smashes. camera and smashed his camera on the ground. But then you would need another photographer there to take a picture right. of that. Which makes it even funnier. Because <laughs> if they're going to keep playing, they need another guitar to keep going. Like, what if you went to the dentist and right after he was done drilling your teeth, he just threw his shit on the ground? Like, job well done. I'm <laughs> exactly. Out. Like, broke his shit. I'm out. No, if it was the last guitar that he ever picked up, like, if it was the story was, this is the last time I'm ever playing guitar in my life, I'd actually maybe think that was cool. But of course, that's not what this is. Do you know what would be way cooler than smashing your guitar on the ground? Is if you just took it off, held it up, and dropped it like a mic drop. A yeah. mic drop is the coolest version of whatever this was supposed to be but i don't think smashing your instrument here's how stupid all this shit is all right homeboy in the clash was almost certainly smashing his bass because everyone was already watching pete townsend smash guitars as a gimmick on a regular basis mm -hmm. england's a pretty small shithole of an island i doubt anyone missed pete townsend doing that so what does the who do Oh, that guy's smashing his shit. Let's take him out on tour. <laughs> the, Who, the Who takes The Clash out on tour as an opening band. What do fans of The Who do? Boo The Clash off stage at nearly every concert. <laughs> Guitar smashing and all? They don't care, man. Oh, man. Who fans might like shitty music, but you got to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> There's levels to this level of shittiness. And one bad turn deserves another, which is what happened when The Clash fans later booed Stevie Ray Vaughan off the stage when Double Trouble opened for The Clash. <laughs> because if there's one thing worse than The Clash, it's Stevie Ray Vaughan. <laughs> I broke Mark. I think we need to uh, we need to bring back booing. That doesn't happen anymore. I don't remember the. I don't think I've ever been to a concert, honestly, ever once where people booed the opening band. Donald Trump just With, got like, booed. That was yeah, but that's pretty fucking sweet. He's like a huge that's asshole. The only time he went in front of an audience that he didn't pay to be there. I want to see more people boo a live band. They should. You want to know how punk you're not if you think the Clash is a great punk band? Another band that Clash fans booed was Suicide. <laughs> Isn't that fucking That's insane? So fucking insane. That's awesome. <laughs> that was a good laugh. <laughs> In case y'all don't know, Suicide is a band that used to padlock the doors of the venue so nobody could escape when mm -hmm. they were playing. All right? They were fucking terrifying live band. Yeah. People would try to leave because they weren't sure if they were going to get knocked out with a chain. They booed fucking Suicide. Maybe the Clash fans are like really actually ballsy. Nah. Suicide's two guys on a stage. One of them's got a microphone in his hand. The other one's behind this little shitty keyboard. He should have a chainsaw in his hand is what it should have. Yeah. That would be sick. Like a uh, jackal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a song about Frankie Teardrop. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck booed me? Did you boo me? <laughs> Clash fans are so lame that Joe Strummer knew 
when he had Bo Diddley on as an opening act, he needed to go out on stage and introduce Bo Diddley to the crowd to make sure these assholes understood this is the person who invented rock guitar. <laughs> this guy invented rock guitar. Please do not boo him, you fucking morons. <laughs> London Calling is a double album. That's it right there. It's over. This is it. Done. Even people who have this album cover on a t-shirt can't possibly listen to this thing start to finish on a regular basis. There's no way. There's a double album and there's maybe, is it four popular Clash songs on this album? Most of the popular ones are on Combat Rock. Two or three out of a double album, people that even know. But this is the album that is like the quintessential of the cover. Album. People like this cover way more than what's inside. Because of Rolling Stone magazine. This would be like if you got something for Christmas and just fell in love with the wrapping paper, even after you opened it. I don't really give a shit about this present. I could keep this paper though, right? This is really good artwork. This is the best wrapping paper I have ever seen. Which in turn, I guess, makes the gift really great. Wonder if we could do like a London Calling ripoff shirt. We probably could. Well, the album cover of London Calling is an Elvis Presley ripoff. That font is straight ripped from Presley, which is hilarious because this band talks shit on Elvis Presley in their lyrics. It's just not possible that someone who likes the song London Calling also likes the songs Brand New Cadillac and Jimmy Jazz. These are the first three songs on this album. There's no fucking way you like all three of those songs. No, and I doubt that most people even know the non-London Calling song. Definitely don't. It's not like this is a double album because these guys had so much strong material and they just knew they had to get it out into the world. It's a polar opposite situation of that. Mick Jones and Joe Strummer both say they had writer's block leading up to this album. They hadn't written anything new in well over a year, two months before they started recording this album. Mm. Two months before they started recording this album, they met up at a rehearsal spot and started jamming on cover songs. And that's where the songs on this album come from. Yeah. Is them playing a cover song and just starting to change them around a little bit until they ended up with something that sounded remotely like a different song than what they started playing. That's what this album is. Then the thing I don't understand is, is okay, so you know this, you admit this. I have I have writer's block, we haven't written songs in a while, blah, blah, blah. But then why do a double album? I don't know. That is like another, that's a level of narcissism. It's quantity over quality. Yeah, yeah, Here's yeah. Here's 10 pounds of shit when you only want five, and we're only going to charge you for the five. And it was right. like, fucking genius. Right. There's two pieces of corn in this pile of shit. What a great record. People like to make a big deal out of how The Clash made a double album and a triple album and forced their record label to not charge very much extra for those. They, they cost just about the same as a single LP would have cost at the time. Did you listen to it? They're just shit songs and B-sides that should never even put out. Literally one single that anyone cares about. The yeah. song London Calling. London Calling and Rudy Can't Fail. Those right. are the songs. So two songs. Two fucking songs. Out of however many. One per album. Yeah, yeah. I am well aware of how many people are going to try to attack our logic in this episode by saying we've only talked about the big songs. I know that Train in Vain is some fan favorite song that y'all think is badass. That shit sounds like a homemade demo of a song someone was hoping George Michael would record. All right? For this podcast, I went, I do what we always do. We listen to this stuff. The remastered versions of these songs 
are even worse. really bad. They're even worse. Yeah, really bad. They take bad songs and make them really bad. I don't know. Who it sounds did that. like they ran through the remaster <laughs> through like a fucking Nintendo. I'm <laughs> um, see that was like EQ'd with Super Mario Brothers. It sounds so bad. If you told me that it was an AI robot singing like him, re-recording these songs with a robot, I would be like, yeah, that's totally true. That's what it sounds like. It's so embarrassingly shoddy. London Calling is where the whole reggae thing started to get pretty out of control too with this band. One of the reasons why people need to leave reggae alone is because of how many of them can't keep from doing a fake Jamaican accent. That's one of the reasons why you can't understand the chorus of Rudy Can't Fail. It's a fucking fake Jamaican accent, man. Yeah, he's really, really laying it on thick. Sting is one of the worst offenders in this category, but Joe Strummer is right there with him. Hell yeah. This is a close second. I guess I don't want to hear a fake Jamaican accent from anyone who isn't from Jamaica, no matter what color they are, but this is pretty specifically a white dudes from England problem. Yep. Like 95% of this fake Jamaican accent problem is white dudes from the UK. Listen to this band cover Pressure Drop. That what? should be the end of this fucking conversation. It is funny to think that they are called a punk band, but their biggest songs are not even remotely Their biggest songs are They're, pop slash ska. Ska. Yeah. Or reggae. They had a lot of reggae material, but those aren't the hits at yeah. all. And also... All of their shit. If you are one of the people who thinks that the Clash's reggae deep cuts are awesome, you don't listen to reggae. It's offensively bad. It's like, oh, we could do that too. Check it out. No, you can't do it. Stop. <laughs> listen to the song The Crooked Beat from Sandinista. It is a horror show. I'm not listening to anything on a triple LP. Oh, dude, yeah. And just to make sure you know this band is terrible, the Clash went ahead and followed up their double album with an unlisted triple album where the reggae thing got about a million times worse and they even try to start rapping we are pushing 60 <sighs> episodes of this show i don't recall ever the words triple album coming out of my mouth no we haven't said ever it. never once mm -mm. not even pink floyd imagine if pink floyd made the wall two sides longer and 10 times more annoying because they just saw the movie the harder they come and thought they could make that music too that's Sandinista. A triple album. Such a dick move. And people back then bought vinyl. What if you bought this like <laughs> You're on just a, walking home from the- It's like a book. You have to keep <laughs> switching which hand you're carrying at home yeah. from the record store. Can you imagine buying this slab of garbage before you heard it yeah, yeah. and walking all the way home with it, playing it for the first time. I, <laughs> I want to know how many angry fan letters their record company got. I would demand my money back. There was no way to pre-listen to the album. So you just be like, oh shit, I love The Clash. I love London Calling. I'm going to go buy this triple album. Think about most of the bands that you love, not us. <laughs> You, the listener, you think about a normal record, say it has 12 songs. At least half of them are filler. So that's six songs out of the 12 that are filler. What the hell does it look like on a triple album? There's like 20 filler songs. I've seen where fans of this band will go and make their idea of Buried in Sandinista is a really good single album. Cut They're the like, bullshit out. What would be even more productive, I feel, to illustrate the problem with this fucking band is if someone did the opposite. 
Go put all the worst songs from Sandinista on a playlist and try to force yourself to sit through that. Then tell everyone that it's good. Because the bands that I think are great, I can listen to the worst shit they did all day long and it smokes the clash. I think they thought naming a song Hitsville UK was a clever or cool nod to Motown, but then all they did was make another crappy home demo sounding song that sounds way more like Phil Spector a song that Phil Spector would have thrown in the garbage can. Mm-hmm. Sounds way more like that than anything Motown ever did. And I think these guys probably couldn't hear the difference between Motown and Stax, let alone the difference between Motown and Phil Spector. He just didn't know. It would be a lot easier to respect this band if they just made a shitty double album, a shittier triple album, and then broke up. Yeah, that would be amazing. If they just took all of the best songs of the ever wrote ever, put them on one record, it would still be an overhyped shitty band for sure but it would at least make a little bit more sense people carve out their ideal version of sandinista as a single lp if you did that with this band's entire discography you took their 12 best songs Mm -hmm. it's still half filler yeah i don't give a shit what you like it's still not even one good record it's not consistent or adventurous in an interesting way yeah it's not like they covered multiple genres well. If you like one of the genres this band did, you don't like the other genres that they tried, or you don't listen to music. You don't actually care about music. You like t-shirts. They follow up this unlistenable triple LP with just this fat log of shit that they dump all over their super revolutionary punk fans. They release an album with two of the biggest radio rock songs of all time on it. Fuck it, we're a pop band going straight to the fucking radio should i stay or should i go and rock the casbah are both on an album called combat rock this is probably the most popular clash album because these are definitely the most popular clash songs which is weird again i think most posers don't know that i think most posers which is a majority of clash fans believe london calling is their biggest most important album i almost guarantee most people don't even know that the other album exists i remember before the internet really took off and definitely before social media took off. It was such a thing that people would walk into a music store and buy the album that they recognize the cover of. Right. Assuming that that must be the album with the songs that they know on it. There's no world in which thousands of people have not bought London Calling and then got pissed off because should I stay or should I go and rock the Casbah are not on that album. Sure. The power posers that are Clash fans. Own and don't listen to London Calling. Right. Or the only thing they've ever really actually listened to is like the greatest hits. Should I Stay or Should I Go is maybe the most pointless song I've ever heard as far as lyrical content goes. It's such a non, it doesn't need to exist. It's not, a, there's nothing being said here. Should I stay or should I go now? If I go, there will be trouble. If I stay, it will be double. Not a secret. I'm bad at math, but this is not a difficult choice to make, man. Do the thing that's half as much trouble. Yeah, go. If one thing gets you in trouble and the other thing gets you in double that amount of trouble, not a tough decision. It is tough, though, if you're punk, dude. You're not putting on your punk hat, bro. Making fun of this song is too easy. And honestly, I don't even like talking about this song because it just makes me think of the song. And it's such an annoying song. Just a mega stupid pop song that maybe you like it when you're 12 years old, but everyone's sick of hearing this by the time they're 20. It's just an awkward, shitty song. And it's it's the very forgettable song that I I don't understand why why it's not been forgotten back into your psyche somehow on a new commercial 
or movie. It doesn't deserve talking about. Honestly, I would rather just move on from this song because, again, I know that people who think that they're fans of The Clash think this whole episode is just going to be us talking shit on Should I Stay or Should I Go and Rock the Casbah because yeah, those are the band's sellout songs and we're going to get mad about that. Fuck that, dude. Everything else about this band sucks. Who gives a shit about this pop song? I would argue that Rock the Casbah is the biggest song in history that people don't know the words to. Probably one of the most misheard lyrics. It gotta be, if not the most. Also, for all those people who think that we can't talk shit on the deep cuts, I know that you think the song Straight to Hell kicks ass. MIA's Paper Planes, which samples that song, million times better. Million times better. If you listen to the song Paper Planes by MIA and you think that's an argument for continuing to pile worship on this group of less than mediocre white dudes... Instead of beginning to recognize how awesome it is that M.I.A. stepped in to save that little intro riff, give it an actual arrangement for an actually good pop song, you need to re-examine your life, all right? Mm -hmm. Paper Planes is such a better song than Straight to Hell. It's proof that you can take a little pile of shit and turn it into something great. It's basically alchemy. You could freeze it and carve it into something cool. Turning shit into gold, there man. There you go. Am I as an alchemist? Rock the Casbah exists in this same fictional worldview of that movie, Pump Up the Volume. You remember that movie? Yeah, oh yeah. Christian Slater, yeah. where he operates this pirate radio station in this little town, and it changes the culture of this whole town. Yeah, that shit doesn't happen ever, but idiots are always talking about the power of rock and roll or punk music as if it can change the world like that movie does, right? Uh -huh. But it, it doesn't. We've been over this before. We'll probably have to go over it in every episode about a punk band. Look at the world. All of that music happened. All of the music that you think had the power to change the world happened, and it didn't change shit. The Clash happened in the late 70s and early 80s. You know, uh, right before America corrected course and everything magically got better in the, mm. in the 80s? The world became a better place. How awesome politics got in the Absolutely. 80s. Absolutely. Nothing bad ever happened since they broke up. We really got candidates that you could believe in, and yeah. politics wasn't shittier and shittier until now I'm literally not certain if I'm going to wake up and find out America's not a country anymore tomorrow yeah the world is a better place man because music it just is you know how to change the world you hack another country's presidential election that's how you change the world you don't make a fucking punk album you don't make a pop album i want someone to hack a, a major presidential speech erase all the words and just put the lyrics to rock the cast yeah, by in if there if you did that no one would think that it was a political <laughs> statement everyone would think that it was a 4chan or 8chan troll job right nobody would be like oh fuck i can't believe that they hacked it and played such an anarchist socialist punk message on tv yeah because your favorite punk band's Ugh. biggest song isn't even remotely punk or political really it's just a hooky song with dumb lyrics that nobody actually knows casper casper, Ca casper? rock the casper i don't know what that is in about 10 years whoever owns the rights to that song is going to sell it to casper mattresses and you're going to hear it behind all those podcast ads <laughs> rock the casper <laughs> rock your casper <laughs> <laughs> we are not we are not sponsored by Casper. Fuck no. Even once we take on sponsors, I'm not going to let that. We're not going to have the same sponsors that other podcasts have. Yeah, we are right. Look, we're doing our own thing. Fuck Blue Apron. Fuck Casper. <laughs> fuck that job. Monster.com. Squarespace. 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 Squarespace can eat butts. <laughs> we're punk as fuck.
Yeah, this is what people who truly don't give a fuck do. Literally fuck everyone who's most likely to give us money because they're already spending money in this space. Fuck that. We're going to work for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's pretty punk, I think. Yeah. If you want to see some funny shit, type the words revolutionary and the clash into any search engine and look at how much horse shit is going to come up about how revolutionary this band's political message is slash was. This is a band who has songs played on the radio all the time. It's fucking hilarious. People bought into this so hard that they started saying the clash is the only band that matters. That's basically this band's unofficial slogan. Mm -hmm. The album cover of London Calling is on a stamp in the UK. Mm. Does anyone really think that it would be even legal for a truly revolutionary band's music to even be played on the radio? Probably not. Much less used to send a package through the royal <laughs> mail. That's pretty awesome. Dude, though. you want to know what's legal? Peaceful protest. And you can barely get away with that anymore. So no, revolution is certainly not legal. And it damn sure doesn't chart in Billboard, you fucking dorks. <laughs> I think Rock the Casbah is like really punk, dude. It really changed the entire world and the way so many people think about everything. This song has been played at every prom. I think that's my favorite part about the song. <laughs> and it just sent packs of teenagers running into the street to dump over trash cans and change the system, man. That's what happened at every prom, right? That's what's wild about this song is there's like layers to it. There's the original layer, which is a punk band writing this catchy pop song. It moves up into the psyche of people that like the hook but don't know the lyrics. And then it becomes like an actual top 40 song that gets played in the most awkward places like kids high school dance parties. Yeah. Where it starts to where it ends. If this is another Born in the USA yeah. instance because when pressed, this band maybe just came up with this bullshit or even if they did intend it, who cares? Because no one got the message. This was supposed to be based on a Middle Eastern country right. where yeah, like, yeah. oh, they, they're not allowed to listen to rock and roll the Sharif, over right. there. We're going to make rock and roll for people who can't listen to it, etc. Fast forward to we're dropping bombs on Iraq. Our soldiers are writing rock the Casbah on the bomb before it comes out of the airplane. Jeez. This is very famously a thing Joe Strummer is supposed to have started crying when it happened. Again, dude, I'm sorry that that hurt your feelings, that this is how people heard your song. It's almost as if you could have done a better job of making sure people understood the message, though. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's not exactly anyone's fault that, A, we can't fucking understand what you're saying, and B, even if we could, these lyrics are so vague because you're just cashing in on this movement that's total bullshit anyways. Vague anti-establishment horseshit. The only reason I know what the song means truly is because I had to watch a 10-minute fucking video that explained the song to me. If I never read the lyrics, I would not be singing the correct lyrics when the song comes on because I wouldn't know them because they don't make sense. They also just used a bunch of Middle Eastern sounding words in it, like right. minarets and stuff. Like, yeah. this is almost offensive, possibly. Like, I think if you did this this year, you would make a lot of people mad. Approximately zero people really, truly understood what he was trying to say or do with this song without somebody else explaining it to them. We also skipped right over this, but this band has a long history of trying to use Spanish in songs, but it being grammatically incorrect correct it's almost as offensive as dressing up in a sombrero no, and fake mustache hilarious. for halloween <laughs> this is madonna level bullshit here that's hilarious 
I love it. They need to take the five seconds to actually talk to the guy that speaks fluent Spanish to be like, are we saying this correctly? I could for sure do another two hours on this band, but we got to get out of here. Well, they, they have double and triple albums. We could just go through each song individually uh, and puke our brains out. I feel like I've been screaming. My throat hurts. <laughs> I feel like I could go in and lay down some real sick Joe Strummer <laughs> vocals right now. It's a good time to record a punk album. You don't have to be so crude and feckless. <laughs> if The Clash is your favorite band. Your favorite band sucks. You are welcome for listening to Your Favorite Band Sucks. We're back. Happy New Year 2020, here to fix y'all's vision. We were going to stay gone a while longer, but we found out everyone's going to try to make tomorrow International Clash Day. So everyone's going to be posting the guitar smash picture and selfies with their Clash shirts. Fuck all that. You don't have to let these posers control the narrative. Go to yfbspod.com, get a link to this episode, and blast it out on every app you have. I want to see The Clash Sucks on Facebook, on Twitter, on WhatsApp. The Clash Sucks on Insta. Put it on your Snap, your Tinder, your Wolf. If someone knows how to post The Clash Sucks on Mayor Pete's Iowa Caucus app, go ahead and post it on there too. We did our part. Now you do yours. While you're on the website, check out our new t-shirt designs. There's a pretty solid chance we're going to get hit with a cease and desist on these shirts. So we only did a very limited run just to find out what happens. I think the listing still says we're only taking pre-orders on the new shirts, but we do have them. We've already started fulfilling the orders. Go ahead and get one. Do not wait if you want one of these shirts. They will definitely sell out. Uh, I think Mark is testing some new stickers and coffee mugs, too. Hit the store. Stock up. We got merch. I'm not going to be announcing the next band because we'll be back with a mini episode next week. Everyone else posted their best of the decade list while we were